It's time for another episode of the Mostly Legal Podcast, the show that brings you everything you didn't think you needed to hear about the people behind the scenes of the business of law. I'm Amanda Copeless, and I've worked in legal management for almost 16 years. In that time, I've met a lot of people who have made me laugh. But our two guests today kept me laughing for hours after the recording was done, and I can't wait for you to join along. I'm Rob Joyner, VP of Sales and Marketing for Centerbase. While I'm technically the co-host, these two will steal the show today. When we first started out, we wanted to give our listeners the inside scoop into the lives of the people who are fundamental to the success of how law firms operate. But even we weren't prepared for the force that is Holly Polito and Eric Hightower. These two are somehow both outrageously funny and yet genuinely enduring at the same time. You're definitely going to laugh today. It's my solemn vow. Hi, Holly and Eric. Can you guys start with introducing each other? Sure. Sure. (laughs) So Eric and I decided to uh, do something interesting, and so we wrote vows instead of introductions. (laughs) I can't wait to hear these. Yes. I, Holly Polito, Introduce you, Eric Hightower, <laughs> the Director of Administration for Davis, Anger, Rappaport, and Scalney, LLC. I promise to promote you as the degree-hoarding Zumba instructor that you are. <laughs> I vow to laugh at all of your stories and brag on your titles and accomplishments in a naturally conversational way. Like that time we were discussing how you are honored with the distinction of the unsung legal hero by the Maryland Daily Record. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> I vow to give you my 100 to make this episode with you entertaining, informative, and unfortunately a public display, as you and I often do. (laughs) This I promise my fellow LAA director, my friend, and my spirit animal. Oh my god. Amanda, we're going to be replaced. I know! (laughs) (laughs) We need to get all these published before this one comes out because people are going to hear them and say... Well, it used to be mostly legal with Rob and Amanda. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, I, Eric Hightower, administrator for Davis Agnor Rappaport <laughs> County, do take you, Holly Polito, administrator for Gray Becker, to be my podcast mate. You are kind, funny, smart, and you are important. And if I was ever in a bar fight, I know that you would do more damage to other people than I ever could. (laughs) At the same time, you are the constant professional and always willing to roll up your sleeves and volunteer, like serving on the Association of Legal Administrators, Board of Directors, or as a past chapter resource team member. Holly, you live in Austin, Texas, which makes you weird, and I'm okay with that. (laughs) And for fun, you like to tour the Tito's Vodka plant and embed in the free drinks with purchase that they offer. And Wow. I will forever call you friend and maybe go forward, find strange new planets, and live long and prosper, my friend and colleague. I do. I know. So if you don't, if you guys don't take over our podcast, we at least need to have an award ceremony. I know. Because you guys best definitely intros. win on the best intros. That's great. You know, Thank we you have that. I think that I was telling Rob this the other day, and you guys haven't even known each other that long, right? No, no, no. we haven't. Our and, eyes met across the room, and we just knew. 
we we first met each other at um, the Association Legal uh, Institute a year prior. Uh, we were at opposite tables, and she finally remembered me as the germaphobe. Oh. <laughs> you were wiping down everything, but to be fair, it was March of 2020, so <laughs> we all should have been following Eric's lead. So, Eric, you were ahead of your time in being a journalist. He was pandemic before pandemic was cool. <laughs> Is that like being country before country was cool? I mean, you are a little bit country, and I am a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> you guys are like <laughs> the yin and yang and the peas and carrots, and what else am I missing? Hey, Amanda, how do you know the two of them? Just well, real quick. Uh Obviously, I don't know them as well as each other, uh, even though I've known Holly longer, which yes. is, you know, crazy. But we were uh, in the Austin chapter together. Holly was a chapter president. I think we were on the board at the same time, but it wasn't during your presidency. I think there was. No, it was 2014. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there was some uh, crossover when I was still there. And I remember Holly because she always wears these amazing big glasses, which is like, <laughs> yes. that's your, that's your signature style, right? Like the. Uh, Iris Apfel is my hero. Okay. <laughs> And let's see, I guess I met Eric maybe even before I met him because it wasn't until after we joined the board together that you reminded me that in Denver, uh, you kind of got out of your shell. I mean, obviously, there was no shell to begin with. And you were leading a Zumba line in the middle of the Denver conference party. And I remember doing Zumba with somebody, and it wasn't until much later that you explained that it was you who was leading the Zumba at the party. Good times, fun times. <laughs> Denver was a good time, right? Great time for you? It was. It was. I decided to um, embed myself in the uh, local offerings, and then as did other chapter members, <laughs> and everyone else uh, just would say, I don't like this. Here, Mikey, you try it. And um, I basically became the chapter dumpster and didn't sleep for three days. But uh, <laughs> So, yeah, good times. <laughs> That's not on his resume, folks. <laughs> Rob, I feel like that well, sigh you just made is going to be kind of this entire episode in general will just be you sighing. Oh, <laughs> Well, I'm smiling. I mean, it's it, it's been a lot of fun already. So, thank, thanks for all the entertainment. Um, so, you guys were talking. You guys were talking about you know Holly. You just mentioned the resume. I'd love for each of you to go into your backgrounds, your career progressions. A lot of people like to hear you know where you started and then how you you got to the point where you are today. Um, whether it's just within your firm and also uh, from an ALA perspective as well. Sure, I'll start if if that's okay. Sure, um, go ahead. So, you know, not to sound like a plug for ALA, but honestly, it, there's so many varied um, paths and mine is not unusual, but um, it's more common than some might think. I actually started out as a receptionist in a law firm after the birth of my kiddos um, and got really sick of Barney and needed a part time gig. <laughs> 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 <Talk to grown-ups. laughs> and so, 
Um, I love you. No, no. <laughs> it's Please, a trigger. Man, thank you. Those are all the magic words. <laughs> if animals could talk, the fish is in the bird. See, I, I like one... to eat, eat, eat. Eeples and panini. I have one dollar. Keep going, Holly. Keep going. Everyone, it's like such a trigger. Anyway, so <laughs> I thought, why not hang out with attorneys? Because that's way better. So I um, started as a receptionist, started finding that I was capable of jumping in and doing other things. And it was a smaller firm, uh, three attorneys. And one of the partners was leaving and asked me to go with him and run his office. And so I quickly learned, and this is way back, y'all, quickly learned how to peer-to-peer some computers and do all (laughs) sorts of fun stuff. But I did that, and that was in Louisiana, um, decided that I was um, moving to Austin, sent out one resume, and it was very kind, and thought I could do some paralegal work. And they said, no, we actually want you to do our um, bookkeeping and office manager. And so... Someone took a risk on me. Um, that was Hayes Johnson and Owens and came here and did that. And then, um, you know, just kind of kept progressing. And so that's really my backstory of never being scared to try new things like podcasts. <laughs> um, <laughs> just keep looking forward. And, you know, I joined ALA when I um, I, I worked for another firm that uh, shall not be named because it's Voldemort. And oh my goodness. <laughs> and so um, after I got a shrink and was able to quit that job, um, <sighs> I was there 12 years. <laughs> um, learned a lot, loved them, so whatever I'm supposed to say, and then um, joined uh, Howie, Brun, and Herman and immediately jumped into ALA um, because they did support it. And that was actually a contingency. And that was in 2014. And immediately jumped on a communications committee and that's where I met Amanda on the board and I never looked back. Everything's been growth, fun and learning ever since. Hey, I I have a follow-up question for you, Holly. You know, you mentioned something that I've heard uh, more often than I thought I would. And and you mentioned, you know, the firm supported you being in the ALA and, you know, I didn't realize this, but I didn't realize some firms, you know, just see it as, Hey, you, you know, you're taking time out of your, your job, what we're paying you, what we're paying you to do. Um, do you have any advice for people that are going through that, that are trying to overcome that, that are trying to progress in their ALA career? I and do. maybe aren't getting the support? I do. Firstly, I would go to the ALA website and there's actually, they have a whole section on the importance and value of ALA that gives you some one-liners. It also, here's a pitch uh, for attending conferences for membership that sort of thing and really i think going in armed with the knowledge that it's not taking time away it's actually giving you cutting edge information and innovation and that's really the most i would not be where i'm at and as as solid of a leader god that sounded self-promoting but you know what i mean um, I would that's not what we're all about. Ask Amanda. What, yeah, listen, that's what we're all about. You will fit right in here. I am okay. so humble. I don't ever self-promote. So. <laughs> Amanda, I know you and I know that to be true. No. <laughs> so, um, it, it, But I, I wouldn't be where I'm at and w- have the buy-in of capability without 
having that network because you're not really getting one administrator. You're getting a legion of administrators. That sounds so awesome, right? But it really is. You're having people who have been through whatever you're trying to troubleshoot and can tell you the easiest path. Um, There's people who know the law without, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're not, um, you know, going down a rabbit hole. It actually saves you time and gives you accurate answers from your peers to the association itself. And it produces white papers and it gives you a reputation. If you're not with ALA, you're kind of uncool. Oh my gosh. Law firms out there (laughs) listening. Well, you know, Holly too, unless you're at a larger firm, there's only one firm administrator, right? So as you said, it, and Amanda's alluded to in the past or, or said in the past, it, it can be lonely sometimes. So having that that network to bounce ideas off of totally makes sense and how it brings value to the firm. Absolutely. This is the, the quietest or the longest stretch of time I've heard Eric quiet. I know. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking Since, the same uh, thing that when is anyone going to be interested in me? <laughs> no one puts I'm, Eric in the Don't corner. worry. We were... Yeah, we're we're ready to jump over to you, Eric. <laughs> Holly, I loved hearing your story. Um, Thank you. Congratulations to you. I'm actually very proud of you and uh, where you've come from and uh, where you have arrived. So kudos to you. Um, I uh, am similar to Holly in a way. However, I started in the corporate world, actually. Uh, my very first job was at McDonald's as a fry guy. Woo! Um, <laughs> And I wasn't supposed to work during college, but I don't like people to tell me what I can and can't do. (laughs) So I drove my jalopy of a Buick Skylark to the furthest McDonald's from me and got hired as a fry guy and then said, I'm doing this. So, and from there, you know, I worked my way up, had uh, my own store in another fast food industry. And then from there, I became a personnel manager for Kmart. That was uh, very interesting. And um, and, oh and then ultimately found myself as a general manager of a silver refinery in Tennessee and had a horrible smelting accident, which I'll tell people about later. <laughs> no, no. Go right for the smelting accident. Don't don't put us off. Don't leave us hanging. It actually was kind of bad. I um, It's actually embarrassing. So um, we would have to wear these jumpsuits. And uh, when you're around uh, all of the the crucibles. And, uh, I had a guy who didn't show up. So I said, I would go out and, and smelt the silver myself. And I didn't know you're supposed to leave clothes on underneath the jumpsuit. (laughs) (laughs) So I stripped down, put the jumpsuit out. And no one also told me that each crucible gets to be about 2000 degrees. And uh, so I'm, I'm standing over this thing and I go to pick it up. And all of a sudden my zipper on the outfit starts to heat up. And um, <laughs> needless to say, I start screaming. I drop the crucible. And next thing I know, all these guys are standing around me ripping my clothes off. <laughs> and normally that would be a great Saturday and, night. And, but <laughs> in, in this case, no. But I am happy to say that uh, I'm not silver member. Uh, everything <laughs> everything works. You'd have to watch a little Austin Powers to get that little inside joke. But um, it all worked out. But that let me know that I did not want to do that as a career any longer. And um, so I decided to move to Baltimore, Maryland to finish another degree. And um, while there, I couldn't find a job. And I had a friend who is a firm administrator in a law firm. So I applied to be a Social Security Disability Paralegal. 
And um, the attorney that I worked for took a chance on me because I was a man. He thought that when the clients called, they would think I was him and he wouldn't have to talk to anybody on the phone. (laughs) And it actually turned out that way. No matter how many times I'd answer the phone, this is Eric Hightower. How can I help you? They all (laughs) always said, yes, David, can you help me? So so I did that for uh, some years and then, uh, the current administrator decided to become a missionary uh, to Budapest. And so because of my background, they asked me to manage the firm. Um, I had enough sense at that time to know that there were differences in running a corporate uh, office as there was running a law firm. So that is how I discovered the ALA. I started looking on the internet for resources. And so I joined the ALA and uh, for the first few years, I wasn't an active member. I just digested all the resources they had. But in 2005, I decided to go to uh, a meeting. And there I met uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Vicki Wagner. And she and I were both new to attending events. And we they needed a chairperson for the community challenge position on the board. So we agreed to co-chair it together. And so from there, I just, you know, went through the ranks and became president of the chapter. Now I'm on the board of directors for the Association of uh, Legal Administrators. Woo! And so I, I, you know, I, like Holly, feel like my success has been because of the Association of Legal Administrators and my ability to uh, garner information from there that makes me look like a rock star when I'm doing my job. (laughs) Eric, I always like to ask about jumping from corporate uh, over to law firms, and you said it was very different. What was so different for you? So what's different about it, some of it is uh, personality uh, to start with. You know, I actually took a a half-day workshop through the Association of Legal Administrators on this study that was done on attorneys and how their personalities are two standard deviations from the rest of the population. (laughs) Um, And how you can speak to them and still get what it is you're asking for. And uh, interesting enough, I was going through a dilemma with an attorney in my firm at the time. And as soon as uh, we took a break, I sat down and wrote an email to him and presented it in the way that I was just taught. And he responded back and said, sounds good to me. Take care of it. And prior <laughs> to that, he was against it. So um, so in that sense, it's a little different. But also in the, in the legal world, we're also bound by the model rules of professional ethics. And I don't think mm-hmm. corporate world uh, really knows that. So there are things that attorneys have to do that maybe others don't, you know, um, for instance, you know, confidentiality and the protection of client property. And now that we've moved into a digital age and everyone's going to the cloud, that becomes even more uh, relevant. So, um, and then, you know, the accounting for law firms are are different when it comes to compensation structures. And I was just uh, telling Amanda not too long ago about different formulas you would use to measure profitability Mm -hmm. in the corporate world aren't necessarily valuable in a law firm. There are other uh, ratios that you have to run Mm -hmm. to measure those types of uh, profitabilities. And so that's where the differences come in. Interesting. I have a follow-up question to that. Were the customers better at Kmart or McDonald's? (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, Rob is too young to remember. He's never been in a Kmart with a blue light special. So, I mean, I'm not speaking for you. You don't know that. Okay. Okay. Tell me I'm wrong. 
You're wrong. Oh, really? You were, have been in a Kmart with a blue light special. Did you get the free popcorn? So what I'm asking is, Eric, is when those blue light specials come on, are people more angry about that or when the ice cream machine goes down at McDonald's? They're more angry when they can't get a product when the blue light special is going on. Or if the blue light special is running late, if you tell them what time it's going to start. I had an incident once where I was in charge of the blue light and the light bulb went out. And you, <laughs> you talk about panic and anxiety and looking at the mob. So, And it was around Easter time. So I grabbed the blue bunny off the shelf and... And I taped it to the top of the blue light festival. And I started pushing it through the store, uh, announcing, follow the blue bunny, follow the blue bunny. Were you singing and dancing? Not at that time, no. I, I kind of kept that to myself then. I was a little bit of an introvert during those days. So... Sorry. I'm like just Holly, imagining gonna... you pushing the bunny. <laughs> Well, you know, we all got to learn a, to improvise. Yeah. So, so Holly, I was going to jump back over to you and, and something uh, you talked about earlier was, you know, you started as a receptionist at a firm and then people come from different backgrounds when they jump into that full firm administrator role. What were some of the things you learned? What advice would you give people uh, that are jumping in into a role like that? Definitely. I think the biggest piece of advice is, um, again, find your peers. Um, I yeah. had, um, I, you know, I've got comedy on my side, but I didn't have that level of professionalism in reading the room with soft skills. Mm -hmm. And like Eric said, you know, there's definitely a technique in dealing with attorneys and there's definitely a technique with once you start um, having staff and that sort of thing and you're kind of thrown in, um, you have to know, I almost said you have to know when to hold them and when to fold them, but it's true. <laughs> you got to know when to hold them. Know when be, to fold them. Oh I kicked it off. No, you can't be everybody's best friend, but you can be right. an ally. And that that was something really important that I needed that, that I needed to learn. And um, I, I learned basically through the ranks because I didn't get to join the ALA in 2000 and until 2014. So it's, you know, that that's a long learning curve. And I think that's right. when, um, if you look at my resume, you can see when it started taking off just by the connections and the lessons. But I think the biggest lesson, honestly, is learning those soft skills and at, you know, these people, it's a really big risk to have people come up in the ranks like I did mm -hmm. with no training. And we've mm -hmm. seen right. it, right? We have that really great secretary that's now an office manager and she turns into Genghis Khan. You know, <laughs> you get one pin and no soup for you. No, I mean, <laughs> I think all right, you're, training, mixing, you're mixing you're your mixing metaphors all and your shows. Metaphors. <laughs> oh, all my metaphors are just. Holly, it's, you're, it's, yeah, I'm trying to follow. It's kind of a little bit all over the place. I know. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, just in what I do with, with law firms and helping them acquire new software. I mean, you see that. You see a big difference in the people you're you're working with based on their background and how they've come up and the, the training and experience they have. So, Yeah. So I was going to ask, we were going to let Eric answer that question, but I have a side question. Eric, you are a lifetime learner. 
you're working now on your MBA, but you have a lot of accreditations. And tell us your the reason that you feel like you, you want to constantly be that lifetime learner. Like what drives you? Uh, probably uh, poor self-esteem is the most. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> they like me. They really like me. <laughs> I sit in front of a mirror and say, and people like me, but um, <laughs> uh, you, people might not be old enough for that one. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, um, I just, I believe education is key. You know, we used to grow up watching uh, Schoolhouse Rock on TV, right? Like, and, yeah, and, um, just a bill sitting on Capitol Hill. That's right. Uh, I'm just a bill, a poor little bill sitting here on Capitol Hill. Anyway, uh, so I know we're going to have a music track uh, attached to the show notes for this episode. But I feel like education is key. Knowledge is power. You know, when Rob just mentioned when he's going into law firms and introducing uh, this software, I feel like it behooves people to educate themselves and know what it is that they need. And you don't know that unless you learn. And uh, I was reading a book not too long about long ago about leadership, and it's stated in it that your leadership only goes as far as your learning. So, you know, Holly mentioned uh, peers in the ALA, which I think are very important to help you. But I think the education that it provides is also helpful. You know, mm-hmm. I know several people who they don't want to take the certified legal manager exam, but they study as if they are because they learn a lot from it and they learn areas where they could improve. So for me, I like to be uh, well-rounded in, in what I know. And um, I'm also just a cesspool of invaluable information. So, uh... so uh, Eric, Holly mentioned the soft skills and learning to manage people. From what Amanda said, you've also uh, dealt with law firm mergers. Can you talk about that? What does that look like? And what are some of the lessons learned there? I would say one of the hardest part of the, the mergers, because, you know, uh, you know, trying to determine the profitability of what it is you're going to acquire is pretty uh, straightforward. It's the people right. component, as Holly was saying. It's it's uh, merging, the yeah, merging the two cultures, uh, going and seeing what their culture is and saying, oh, wow, how am I going to get them to merge into our culture or going in? And the last one that we've done three uh, since I've been here. And the last, we've always brought over their people from there, but in this last one, we couldn't do that. And so having to interview everybody in the firm and then choose, you know, basically who lives and who doesn't, you know, uh, was really hard. Um, But I would say the first thing I asked in the first merger we did was, who's the administrator in the merger? Because if I'm the outgoing one, I'm not doing all of this. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! <laughs> if I could applaud from a yes, I'm like strategic planning at its finest. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but it's really just the joining of the two cultures and mm-hmm. helping the people who are coming in uh, feel like they're a, a part of this firm, but also helping the people who have been here for a while uh, acclimate to new people and being willing uh, to deal with that type of organizational change because. When you, when you do mergers like that, the other side may also have different uh, policies and procedures that would be beneficial mm-hmm. 
for your firm and you want to introduce those, but the people who are in the current firm aren't always open to change. So I think it's change management that is the, the biggest hurdle that uh, you have to overcome. I've always found the other hurdle is also grandfathering into policies, right? Yes. So you've got three people who are coming in who need to be grandfathered into this PTO policy where they get four days out of every week in earned PTO. And then somehow you've got to manage that into a new people and, and keeping track of that. What were you grandfathered into? What policy were that? So I've always found that to be very challenging as well. You know, on a smaller level, I asked about succession planning when I started there because um, Rick and Doug are older and I was a little nervous. And so they're like, yeah, we want your help with that. And so we restructured our formula to make it attractive to attract attorneys that had books of business. And so we took advantage of the Austin real estate where we could bring in these sole practitioners under our umbrella and expand and um, try to, you know, get some leverage on that. So what that results in is a bunch of lateral soup, as I like to call it, yeah. that we're swimming in. And so <laughs> what makes it a little tougher is you've got a whole lot of, individuals that have been running their own firms forever and have their, the, the vase of doing things. We brought in four firms, four, four individual smaller firms, and we picked up a couple of practice areas. And mm. that's been amazing. Um, especially whenever you have a predominantly liberal firm and you bring in a oil and gas section, making that culture merge has been lots of fun and bringing everybody into the same Fold. Interesting. Yes, especially during election year. Oh. <laughs> no policy hey, work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Holly, so I have a I have a fun question for you. Uh, yes. Amanda came up with these. Okay. So what's one of the common myths about the legal management profession? That we just show up, sit at our desk, and really don't do anything unless there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm. They don't take into a fact that we are constantly looking forward and bringing new things to the firm that we're, there's a lot of moving parts, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That's what this whole podcast is about. Yeah. Some firms, they don't really want to know you exist unless there's a problem and, and then it's your fault. And so mm-hmm. if things are running smoothly, you start, running the risk of being invisible. I would agree with that. I think um, I think one of the biggest myths is that we aren't doing anything because they can't see it being done. Like maybe for staff, right? So like right. staff brings a problem and they don't immediately see a solution. So we have ignored them, even though we are probably working behind the scenes to line out a lot of stuff to fix that problem because it's not an immediate solution type of thing. Right. Right. I I think also um, what's not being realized is, you know, I I understand that everyone has their job to do and they have their own deadlines and they're working at their own pace. But for their one job that they're doing and then they make a request to the administrator, there's, you know, 26 people making a request to the administrator and then they don't understand why you're having to prioritize uh, work. Right. And um, and then I think the other piece of it is uh, sometimes 
they don't realize that being a law firm administrator is actually a profession. You know, especially when you come up through the ranks, like, uh, you know, Holly's talking about as a receptionist or me as a paralegal, they have difficulty seeing you as as an administrator and that this is your career. You know, just like a, a lawyer chooses to go to law school and chooses to make that their profession and their career, there's lots of us administrators that have chosen this as a, a profession and would like to have it recognized that it's a profession, not just a job where we solve problems when they occur. Right. We didn't draw the short straw. We chose this life. <laughs> the thug life. <laughs> the thug life. Oh, my gosh. Hey, Eric, do you have any other myths to add? Um. Well, I didn't know that there were myths out there for law firm <laughs> uh, management, but I would say it's not all glamour if if, if people think that. Or um, although you know, I, you find well, me a person who thinks our job is glamorous, and I will kiss so, their feet. Well, I just I remember one time uh, one of my sisters. I, I have uh, nine siblings, and that's a long oh story. But um, wow, one, one of my uh, sisters. Uh, said to me once she said so in your job you what you uh make appointments for people and uh return some phone calls and write some letters and everything and i just looked at her and i thought <laughs> so that's what you think a law firm administrator does wonderful well let me yeah. educate you <laughs> what you guys have hopefully will you hear when you listen to our first episode is that my daughter thinks what i do for a living is hire people fire people and crush their souls. And nice. <laughs> nice. So it, it goes across all age ranges that people don't know what we do. So that's a good myth. You know, um, Amanda, I remember a meme that you had actually like created before oh, there were yes. memes. And it's like what, what, you know, what people think I do, what my boss thinks I do, what I actually do or something. And it was absolutely hilarious because at the end you're just buried in paperwork. <laughs> what I'm going to do is find that and we'll put it in the show notes for everybody. I like it. I like okay. it. So one myth I do want to mention is um, working in a smaller firm uh, only because I have a chip on my shoulder. But <laughs> oh <laughs> um, my goodness. I know. That's where you often have less budget and it's you doing all of it. You know, I don't have the marketing person and I don't have the, you know, the assistant and I don't have, and it, it's like everything. I'm HR, I'm CFO, I'm, you know, I'm all these things and rolled up into one. And I don't think that people see that juggling because, you know, Eric was speaking about the employees getting upset and, you know, that one employee that always sends 15 emails that could have been one. And that's their biggest problem right now is that, you know, they want a new chair. <laughs> something really and I'm like, right, but I've got to do partner compensations and I've also got, you know, we're rebuilding the website and, you know, we're integrating center base where, you know, it's like, sure, let me get on that chair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I was thinking uh, of another uh, myth and that would, and it really comes within the legal industry itself and it comes to uh, size matters. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> 
And it Where are you has, going with this? I was going to say, wait a minute. We're trying to keep our PG, Eric. Sometimes, sometimes there seems to be an impression that if you have more attorneys and as an administrator, you're uh, busier. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you get it when you get into uh, plaintiff's work in plaintiff's firms, you may have three to eight attorneys, but you might have 50 support staff right. that, that are right. doing that type of work. So the, the ratios of people that you have could end up being the same and the same amount of people equates to the same amount of problems. They're just different. Or you could be an administrator of a smaller firm. And sometimes you have people who say, oh, you're with a smaller firm. Well, it doesn't mean I'm not as busy or that I know less you know, or have less experiences. So I think within our own industry, sometimes we have a tendency to um, make those, if you will, quote unquote, uh, discriminatory uh, remarks when really we're, we're all doing the same thing, just on different uh, scales with different issues. That's a really good analogy. And I've come from doing small firm to large firm to mid-sized firm, and I've never not been as busy. My problems might be different in certain ways, but mm-hmm. it's still the same. You know, I might still be looking at health insurance and I'm either doing it from picking out the entire plan or maybe just explaining a plan to somebody else. But that still is a whole two week open enrollment period that is complicated. And and so that's actually a really good myth. Eric, I thought and forgot about one thing that you and I have in common. Uh-oh. And that is the... Oh. <laughs> it's a- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna set me up because when it's not funny, everybody's gonna be expecting it to be funny. <laughs> out of the bag. <laughs> we are both from very small towns in Texas. Yes, very very small towns. I graduated with 35 people, and you graduated with. I graduated with 30. Three of them were pregnant, so 10 percent of my class were having children. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I always like to say I was top of my class and and in high school and they're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. I'm like, yeah, I was like first or second out of 35. Like that's. (laughs) Yeah, I was second in my class, but that's because my senior year, I took six classes and the person who became valedictorian took one. So my average was like a a point zero zero three less than hers. And she got. A valedictorian. I'm, I'm not bitter about that to this day. But I know. I said, God. Gosh. My story is almost identical to that. I was top of my class, valedictorian, all through high school. Right towards graduation, there was some conflict over whether I should be first or second. And it came down to there was a class that was a physics class that was a freshman year class. I never took the class, but the girl behind me did take it. And it was not an honors class when she took it, but it became an honors class later. So they decided to re-rank her A in that class on an honor scale, which bumped her up a little higher than me. And so I was second instead of first. And I, yeah, talk about bitter. I mean, can you not hear it in my voice? I yeah, graduated I, so many years ago and I'm, I still, I'm like, waiting Ugh. for you. I was waiting for you to say, I'll get you and your little dog too. Yeah. <laughs> Fly, little bit. <laughs> Just don't pour water on me. That's all I have to say about that. I was going to say that girl is a perfectly wonderful girl, and we are friends to this day. I just, 
I got a little bitter. That's all. Go ahead, Rob. <laughs> I was going to say, we have another fun question for you. This one, Holly, you, you, you spoke to a little bit about budget. So if you were to get 10% more budget at your firm, what would you do? Oh, Lord. <laughs> I'd give myself a raise. No, <laughs> but you're, at, but you're a totally asking, legitimate answer. Well, but you're I'm asking get, Holly. You're asking Holly. And she, she's a better person. <laughs> I, I, w- I would have a designated alcohol fridge. That's oh, my God. <laughs> I'm a giver. I'm a giver. No, if I had 10% more budget, I honestly would bring in professional speakers, a facilitator, a coach to literally help blend some of the lateral and the procedures and kind of help bring that in. Because I think listening, sometimes it takes an outsider coming in not to do an assessment, but just to kind of bring everybody together because they're not going to just listen solely to me. It's just my opinion at that point. So if I had 10% budget, I would spend it on bringing a professional in. All right, Eric, same question. You uh, can't give yourself a raise. Let's... <laughs> no, I would I would be more staff oriented and I would see uh, what their needs were, whether it was uh, technology or just more money or more days off or uh, some type of special event that helps them to uh, relax and uh, not be uh, so stressed. I, I would spend it on the staff. Aww. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so you guys, one of the questions we have been asking is a favorite ALA conferences or favorite ALA stories. And I guess, uh, Eric, since you already said Denver, you're going to have to pick something else to tell a story about. Um, so one of you can pick first and go and enlighten us. Well, I would say, uh, my very first conference I attended was at Las Vegas and, yes, and I that uh, one keeps coming up. That one keeps coming up because that was my favorite conference. It was two thousand and seven, right? Yes, yes. yes. And so we, we were all there, Rob. Yeah, so it was at Mand- yeah. it was at Mandalay Bay. Uh-huh. Uh, what I was not prepared for was the hole I wore into my shoe because my hotel room was so far away from the conference center. <laughs> but um, by that Wednesday, I was uh, walking. Uh, you know in a lot of pain from my calf <laughs> muscles. And I actually lost seven pounds at that conference from all the wow. walking that we had to do. But it was it was a, a great conference. But of a friend of mine uh, that I uh, met there and we uh, through the ALA and we've been friends ever since, uh, told me that I was – I was too focused on the education and doing every, <laughs> and doing everything right, and I should take some time for myself and just do something wild. So um, we got on a, a deuce bus and went down to old Las Vegas uh, because another person wanted to get a really good steak. So we get down there, and there's a sign that's blinking with an arrow that says steak, steak, steak. <laughs> So, oh no! We go to that sign, and we're just walking around. Now we've had a few a, a few beverages, adult beverages, and we're walking around this uh, sign, but we can't find the stairs to get into the restaurant. And this uh, this police officer comes up to us and says, "Can I help you?" And we said, "Yeah, we're looking for the rest uh, the restaurant." for these steaks here. My friend here wants a steak. And he said, you do realize that that's just decoration, right? (laughs) So we moved on from there and we ended up going to the Venetian. And um, 
I decided I was going to do something wild and crazy because I was just told, go do it. So I walked into the Movado <laughs> store because I had always wanted a Movado Museum watch. And just, you know, <laughs> it was never in my budget. So I went in and I thought, well, I'll just try it on. So I went in. Unbeknownst to me, they have a, a special fitting person on staff who will come and take the links out so that you can see what it would really look like on your wrist. <laughs> so they, so I said, sure, take some links out. And I, I wore it and I just, I fell in love with that watch. It was like $3,000. Oh and, um, and then they said, you know, we can put it on a credit plan and give you a credit card. And I was like, I'm offended that you wouldn't think I'd be able to afford this. I could put it on my own credit card. <laughs> so I walked out the store with a $3,000 Movado. And I had to be at the airport at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I had buyer's remorse the next day and had no way of taking the walk oh, back. No. So I, I blame my, uh, my friend and colleague to this day for suggesting that I be wild and crazy. That's awesome. So, um, you guys, we we're getting close to our time. One of the last segments we like to do is what I call pitch your passion. And in this segment, we'll give you a couple minutes to talk about something that's really important to you. So Holly, pitch your passion for us. Sure. Um, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And, um, <laughs> Don't you love that lead-in? Yeah. Um, yes, that was good. So I moved from drinking and crying in my closet to something more constructive <laughs> <laughs> at the advice of my um, health professional. <laughs> and something that's always interested me um, because I have to work, you know, we work with numbers and we work with all these things all day. I needed to work the other side of my brain and wanted to do something artistic um, and creative. And so I asked my family for a welding machine for my birthday and I'm taking welding lessons. And <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, administrator by day and, uh, on the weekend, I'm, I'm Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> that is amazing. I can't, I can't wait to see what you make. Yeah. yeah so I, well, as soon as it's presentable, is it for art or is it's it all subjective? Is. Yeah. So I, I will I will let you in on what my my next career dream is. When I retire, I really want to make doors, and it incorporates the crystal aspect. I want to go in, learn about people that need a new front door or a cool gate, learn about them, incorporate feng shui, incorporate the crystals, incorporate what's needed, and then do a big welding wood. I mean, all elements project and make a door. That's literally what I do. I love I do. it. Wow. And have, yes, and have a dog rescue. Amanda has the first dog for you. Yes. I know, right? Yeah, we talk about my dog who needs a forever home all the yeah. time. And I am kind of. Amanda needs a new door, too. I do need a new door. <laughs> well, there you go. Holly, I can get you a nice snake. There we go. Yes, because oh. you're a snake. Eric's not just a snake charmer at work. He's a snake charmer in his private life, too. Uh. That's true. I uh, just moved into a new home out in the woods and put up some deer netting to protect a fig tree. And the next thing I know, I had a snake caught in the netting. 
So um, having come from a small town in Texas, I knew what to do. I got a shovel and a hoe but, and a pair of scissors, and I cut the snake out of the netting, grabbed it by its head, and carried it back into the woods. And yet, Aww. if that had been a bee, you would have run screaming for well, the house, slamming that, the door, and asking George to take care of it, right? Well, more, that's more of a bat. A bees I'm allergic to, but I'm, I'm deathly afraid of bats. I am deathly, deathly afraid. afraid. I almost had a yeah. nervous... I almost had a nervous breakdown once when there was a bat caught in the door of my bedroom. And I had, I had to wait three days for the city to come and get it. So I had to call I had to call out of work. I was like, I can't come in. I haven't slept in the bat in my door. So um so yeah, I'm definitely afraid of bats. I'm I'm cool with snakes. So. Okay, so Eric, why don't you pitch your passion for us? So I, I probably have several passions because I don't know when to stop and I have trouble <laughs> saying no. But um, first and first, uh, foremost, it would be my children and my, and my grandson. Uh, my second passion, uh, I like to bike and hike and, and travel the world. And then another passion would be uh, the Association of Legal Administrators. I'm very passionate about it. It did a lot for me in my career, and I like to give back, and I like to help other people and uh so I like to promote the association and I like to help develop policy uh, so that others coming up through the ranks uh, can have similar experiences. One of the reasons I am going back to get my MBA is because I want to be able to teach a legal management course at a college. Oh, awesome. And um, you can't do that without at least a minimum of a master's degree. And then uh, finally, my other passion uh, would be uh, Zumba, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> I taught a Zumba class. I still do Zumba. And I usually always uh, told my students I have three rules. And the first one is just to have fun in the class. And then uh, the second one is I don't know anyone's medical condition. So if I jump and touch the ceiling, you don't have to. And then the, <laughs> <laughs> and then the third one was if you get lost, just shake something. Can we title this? If you get lost, just shake, just shake something. something. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Well, we're out of time today. Uh, I don't even know how to summarize this episode or what to say. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. So thank you, Eric and Holly, for uh, jumping on with Amanda and I today. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thank y'all so much. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Mostly Legal Podcast. If you like what you heard today, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on themostlylegalpodcast.com where you can sign up for our email list and you can get weekly recaps as well as some cool takeaways from each episode.